ADT professionally installs Google Nest products, helping to make your home safe and smart. You can check in on your home and manage your security system from virtually anywhere. And with Nest Cams and Nest Doorbell, you get intelligent alerts on what matters most. Plus, when every second counts, you can trust ADT's 24-7 professional monitoring. When the most trusted name in home security adds the intelligence of Google, you've got a home with no worries. Go to ADT.com today or call 1-800-ADT-ASAP. Let's get done for eSports! Hello and welcome to Nerf This, the esports show that is coincidentally starting their own Fortnite tournament. I am your host, Brian Huff, and I'm joined, as I always am, by Seven. Hello, sir. I hope we're not competing, man. No, we're not competing. We're just taking that juicy, juicy money. Oh, yeah. I just got to get some fundage. Yes. I mean, that's how we're going to pay to continue this glorious production we call a podcast. So we are going to get into a lot of Fortnite news. We've got a lot of other things to talk about as well. You can now get a Masters in Esports, which is clearly something that I should have done with my career. Uh, Blizzard continues to set records with the Overwatch League, and League of Legends uh, makes a play for the most watched esports event ever. But first, let's talk about that Fortnite news, because this I've never seen such a short press release cause so many articles to be written. But Epic <laughs> released what is effectively three sentences. Well, four if you count the Fortnite competitor's exclamation point at the top. <laughs> announcing that they were going to provide $100 million for Fortnite esports tournament prize pools for the first year of competitive play. And you and I spent a lot of time a couple of episodes ago talking about the viability of this as a format, this whole genre in general. And here we are like, well, nothing makes it more viable than $100 million. Well, it it all depends. There's literally no information on this, so I don't know. Like, I read it, and I'm like, okay. I Actually, I didn't even get that it said the first year (laughs) in it. So I was even like, well, is this over like five years or whatever maybe? And it doesn't say whether or not it means... A hundred million dollars. How much of that is going towards like maybe production of the esports tournament? Because then that's no. This is that, just prize pools. It's just prize pools. Like just that's prize just. Pools. And it, are they running it? Is somebody else running it? It just there's nothing there right. except for them saying we're throwing a bunch of money at it and, and into something that they've said repeatedly that well we're not sure if we want to get into or they've been really hush hush about it maybe. It, it's weird to go hush hush about it and then just drop three sentences and say hundred million. My favorite though, my favorite though, was somebody tweeted like, <laughs> tweeted said, "I'm fairly certain the intern that added too many zeros has not been fired. <laughs> like it <laughs> yeah. meant to be like one million. <laughs> or this also just so shows you the insane amount of money that they are making from this game. Oh yeah, because <laughs> they're yeah, just that's... like hundred mil. <laughs> we'll just make a new skin tomorrow and we'll make that back. Like it's it's kind right. of nuts. But you're right. Like there is a lot of vague wordery around this. Uh, they describe it as, we're getting behind competitive play in a big way, but our approach will be different. We plan to be more inclusive and focus on the joy of playing and watching the game. Sure. <laughs> like, okay. I don't know what the hell that means. I mean, I can and guess what it could mean, but like, who the hell knows? 
Do you think they'll have a broadcast partner? Do we know who it'll be? Oh, yeah, Twitch. No, 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 no. We will tease broadcast partners for months, and then a week before it starts, we'll be like, announcing our exclusive deal with Twitch. We're all shocked. <laughs> right. Now, I'll be interested, based on some of this wording, it's time to speculate, as we are very good at it on the show. And I wonder if we see more of like what we have seen with like Ninja's little mini tour that he's done, where he goes and... like. There's bounties for beating him, and like that kind of format to me is a little bit more interesting. It gives you like a central focal point for the broadcast. You're not trying to follow a hundred players doing things. It makes it a little bit easier. It's a little more fun and a little less of like traditional esports. So that's a potential direction. I mean, I there's not a whole lot to read into here, but I'd be shocked if this comes out looking anything like the attempts PUBG has made up to this point as far as just like format is concerned. That just seems not really Fortnite's bag. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, to make your viewers have to have a, like a degree in mathematics to understand your point table is probably <laughs> uh, not a good way and in, in being inclusive. Uh, who knows? I mean, maybe they have some kind of idea of what they want to do. It seems like they've been toying with a lot of different formats and a lot of different things. Uh, into who knows, it could be multiple types of of play. Um, I would be shocked if it's anything, any kind of format we have not seen yet. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be like mind blowing. I think they're, I think the options that are available to us are pretty slim like there, there has to be something that is at least broadcastable and works well and some of the formats are either not balanced very well like if you talk about the game modes that are available to you they're not balanced very well or they're not really like set up to be competitive they just have cool little like you know sides to make the game faster or things of that nature so it's interesting i think it's cool i mean it shows the sheer amount of money that they have available to them it's a perfect time for them to do it. And I think another reason why this format needs to be more digestible than what we've seen out of this genre up to this point is that it's become a cultural phenomenon. I think at this point, it's safe to say like it's, it's permeated itself as a video game far more into pop culture than a game has in quite a while. Um, it's cool to play Fortnite, like as just like, and that's not to say like, Oh, we've made gaming cool or something to that degree, but it is cool to play <laughs> Fortnite. You go on Instagram, and the people playing in their Instagram stories is insane. Just like this random person that I follow because they're you know a tattoo artist or a shoe designer or like a car customizer, like all these weird things I follow on Instagram. They're all right. playing Fortnite. Like so, it is definitely like there was a comment. This came up at my damn company offsite of all things, where one of the executives was talking about how their babysitter got asked them if they could be paid in V bucks. Like, it's just absurd <laughs> crap that is like when like a 40 something executive of a software company that probably doesn't even know what it looks like, but knows what V bucks are. They're doing something right. Like they've clearly right, right. got to, they've clearly invaded the zeitgeist here and it's hard to fault them. But talk about play maybe overplaying your hand to a certain degree. Those extra zeros speak volumes. I mean, these are pro this is money not available to prize pools for. Mm hmm practically any game especially developer provided like if you look i mean t taking csgo out for a second because that just has so many things involved like we get excited for the double digit prize pools that get thrown around for the international and right, right. like dota doesn't offer no Valve doesn't offer a hundred million dollars even close for dota 
It's not available for Overwatch League, and those people are paying to be involved in that. So it's kind of crazy. Like, we'll see how it actually, like, you know, crystallizes as a thing, but up to this point, like, that certainly got them more attention, like, with very yeah. little words. Yeah, three sentences, and then everybody's, like, all over it. Yep. Now, they refer to it as the 2018-2019 season, so that means that, you know, it's already May, so some point soon we will probably hear more about this. I don't know what it's going to look like. Um, it could look very much like the Valve model, in which they give parts of this money to tournament people like Face It or E-League or things of that nature, um, mm-hmm. which means we need to send our folks at E-League an email and be like, hey, are you involved in this? Like, You can let us know on the download. We'll keep it <laughs> off the show, I promise. Um, I'm curious. Like, This is definitely something I can see them doing, because I don't think they want to take on ownership of actually like running a tournament. But we will see. So on top of that... We also have a Fortnite Pro-Am taking place at E3. This is, we'll call it, what do we want to call these people? Is it mean to call them like C-level celebrities? <laughs> I mean, there's some people, Paul George is an NBA basketball player of fame, so I don't want to like pretend right. like like these are people, and they're, you know, they're obviously ninjas involved, and uh, Joe McHale, uh, television personalities involved. Um, I was actually... There. Come on. Yes, yeah, sorry, Marshmallow's sorry. there. I was trying, to, I was trying not to mention Marshmallow, but Marshmallow will be there. Um, <laughs> yeah. So 50 pros and 50 celebrities. So we don't know who all the celebrities all are, which means they haven't secured all the celebrities. But again, like, Correct. you can find 50 celebrities to come to E3 to play in a Fortnite match. There's $3 million in charity prize money that they will donate. Oh, and by the way, that they just had to say this just to be clear. This prize money is not included in the hundred million dollar planned for uh, E-Night, Fortnite esports. So they just they just want you to know that it wasn't a hundred and three million. <laughs> it's a hundred million, and this is separate. So yes, yeah, yes, indeed. It, you know, I I think E three is when we're going to hear about it. Obviously, if they're mentioning it here that it's going to be at E three is when they're going to make the announcement. I mean, wh- when are they going to do it and when are they going to make a large-scale announcement in front of that many industry people and still have time to create a season, right? I mean, you're not going to wait until Gamescom. You're not going to wait until PAX. When are you going to do it, right? And yeah. if you're not throwing your own events already, then it has to be on the back of something, and it, it'll be on the back of E3. Yeah, it's going to have to be. And, like, you know, they need to – like, one thing they have done really well, both with the game and the promotion around the game, is continue the wave going and not wait too long in between things. And they keep giving reasons for people to keep talking about Fortnite. So I don't see them sitting on this very long. Otherwise, like, people have forgotten and moved on to other things. So right. Interesting to see. Uh, there's also this funny article while we're talking about Fortnite. I wanted to share real quick. Jules, our producer, dug this up. And I, just, I, I find this funny for a couple of reasons. One, that somebody's actually surveying about this, and B, that parents pretend to know this. But according to Esports News UK, are reporting that there was a survey <laughs> conducted by uh, Channel, or sorry, I should say, conducted by SWNS Digital, but commissioned by ChannelMum.com, which I imagine is some sort of British mum site. For That's for moms, not some other weird thing I'm not aware of that someone's going to send me a tweet about and saying I was talking about some weird sexual thing that I didn't know existed. <laughs> or maybe that is what this is, and I'm totally missing it. Um, are claiming that 61% of parents say Fortnite has improved their child's hand-eye coordination. <laughs> okay, so yay, parents know what the hell Fortnite is, so thumbs up for that. How the hell are these parents? 
Like, you, you practice by like throwing stuff at your child and see whether or not they're quick enough to catch it. Like before Fortnite, the Nerf ball just hit them right in the eyeball, but now they're like catching it and whipping it back at me. But then they do a dance afterwards, so I'm confused. Like I don't, you, you know, it, it's funny because there are a ton of kids playing this, and and so it's it's good that honestly that things like this are thrown out there, so the parents aren't freaking out about Fortnite and yada yada yada. Yep. And that's all you need is. This is a better wave of going versus the Valve gambling route, right? Uh, <laughs> and, and there, I mean, I was uh, in the hotel in LA this weekend. There was two kids, probably under I don't know, maybe ten to twelve tops, uh, sitting in the uh, hotel lobby playing Fortnite. Like they'd set up and plugged in, and we're doing it on the hotel like Wi-Fi. Had their own little mini LAN going. Like one kid had his phone tethered to the other kid's computer to keep it charged while he was playing. Like that, it's just it's an, an, insane that, and it's just it is like everywhere, everywhere you walk. This is competitive gaming's Minecraft moment, in my opinion. Like Minecraft, probably the most recent game that. I didn't. The, the parents didn't generally have a negative reaction to. There's been plenty of games that have reached similar levels of notoriety, but it's usually infamy with parents, right? It's this like habit that they want their kids to break, and obviously, like any gaming can get out of control. But like parents viewed time in Minecraft as you know primarily positive, right? Like it was building skills and et cetera, et cetera. And Fortnite has found that weird niche, right? Like it is more of a traditional video game than, than I would say that Minecraft tends to be. It's very competitive. It shares a lot of, you know, DNA with games that are traditionally like not parent friendly, I guess is the right way of putting it, right? Like they're shooters. Yeah. They tend to be things, you know, obviously we have a lot of things I'm not going to dive into that go on in our society that get blamed on video games. But this has found this interesting niche and, and I think it's a combination of like the positivity of the community and I have been super stoked to see like some of the things that Ninja has done to really like he has become this amazing brand ambassador beyond just Fortnite. Like a lot of people gave him grief for the 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 swear the no swearing on his channel anymore i think we talked about a few weeks ago and that got people like really worked up but like there's something to be said for what this is doing right this is normalizing Mm. this game in a way that we haven't seen in in a very long time i was trying to rack my brain before the show and i can't think of another game beyond minecraft that has permeated children's lives so much and viewed as a positive thing yeah i mean Initially, when this came out, I said this is going to be big because it's it's tapping into that Minecraft group, and what it's done is it's bridged the gap between the the people who were big into Minecraft, maybe even still are, kind of transit that are transitioning out of that into more adult type video games, and it's like the perfect medium, right? It's like sandboxy enough, but also structured enough to have competitive gameplay, and and just. So it, it attracts competitive gamers and it attracts the Minecraft audience and people have fun with it in their own way. Like there is for the longest time, like this past, I'd say since you can call it the Minecraft generation, but it's all been about sandboxy. Let them do whatever it is they want to do yep. and not about structured gameplay. Well, it hits a point where they're just done with Minecraft. Minecraft becomes boring and they want to try something else. And it's still hokey funny. It's still playful. It's still taps into that building aspect of things and it's also the equivalent to like a a first person shooter or a third person shooter and yeah it's just it it, it captures it hits a bunch of different genres it works well and completely by accident right like no uh, definitely not by accident no not by accident in any way shape or form no 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 epic (laughs) no 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 i i I don't agree with that epic fell into this permeation of it epic had a 
builder single player non-competitive experience in Fortnite and pivoted on the popularity of PUBG and somehow managed to trip across a formula that works. I'm not saying that it was completely yeah. like, oh, you know, we had no idea what we were doing, but I don't think anybody expected what was a essentially a panic pivot for a game that was not doing well. And because if you look at reviews for the core Fortnite experience outside of Battle right. Royale, it is a horrible game by almost all estimations. And they t- pivoted into this Battle Royal format based on PUBG, and it's worked like far well, greater than yeah. ever. Well, for one, like I said, they grabbed the Minecraft audience, which liked the base gameplay more than anything. But it wasn't anything astounding. Like, I, I wasn't hearing rave reviews on it either. But, I mean, you don't just say, oh, well, we're going to go ahead and do this and not have it already planned. Like, they had already had it planned. They'd been working with PUBG for the longest time, too, because it's already done on Unreal Engine. And so, they like, they had been working on it for a while. They were going to add it in there, and it they invested hands down into it. And then they also killed off some other parts, other projects, and Poor invested more people into it. But, yeah, but really what it is is they... Um, what they, if anything that they lucked out on was that PUBG failed to capitalize on their audience because they were buggy, they had issues, they were toxic, there was cheating. And those are things that Fortnite has had to a lot lesser degree. Now, I'm seeing more people complain about buggies, bugginess, and, and, and peep cheaters, and so on and so forth now. And it's becoming more prevalent, but it is not... It, For the size it, of the it game, just, it's pretty... It, uh, like it says right. the audience is not as noisy as you'd expect it to be, right? Correct. Yes. And and I think to Fortnite, when you approach it as a player, it's a different experience, right? So many people just want to have stupid fun moments. Now that's what I found fun about PUBG, but not everybody had that slant, right? There's it's a much more hardcore audience. People playing it competitively, not from an esports perspective, but just like in it for the competitive nature of it. Where like a lot of people just enjoy Fortnite because it's just a meme right. machine, right? Like it's like this well, meme machine you get to play. Right. I think when you get more hyper-realistic, you get more competitive and more invested in it. But when it is cartoony and jokey, like, and it's poking fun of itself, like, you can get a John Wick skin. You can run around and, you know, yeah. like, freaking Cupid and, and shoot people. Like, you just, there's an element of poking fun at things that that people are just willing to have fun with it. And, and I don't see the level of goofing off in PUBG that you had in like Daisy, right? Because that was more sandboxy, right? And you have that a little bit in in Fortnite, to, for an example, because you have the ability to build stuff. You can, in, you know, change the environment a lot, and so there's a lot of random things that can happen. And it's mostly just people just having fun, and you tend to have more fun moments versus like hardcore. Like, look at this, you know, Kobe freaking grenade throw <laughs> like it's just more than that a lot of times well i find it interesting because if you think back over the last couple of years some of the conversations you and i have had about day z and like you know rainbow hot pants and clown wigs and things of that nature it's so interesting to me that Fortnite has kind of co-opted that silliness but in a in a way that is believable and genuine as opposed to a thing that we find annoying and breaks the game because they just step fully like Putting that into a hyper-realistic game makes you go, what the hell? Like, pull it into a more cartoony experience, and you're like, great, John Wick wearing, uh, you know, hitting people with a plunger. Like, it's just, it's okay, and people enjoy the hell out of it. So, none of this is surprising. I'm just, I am continue to just be, 
I got nothing but credit for for Epic and what they've done here. Like they have they've clearly seen that this is going to make them a ton of money, and they are moving quick. We've talked about them iterating quickly within the game, and I think they're iterating quickly outside of the game. And to your point earlier, I do think that PUBG has also suffered from a touch of perfectionism. And they have spent a lot of time iterating internally on ideas and like, well, tease a map, but we won't see it for six months. And PUBG is tried not to fail in public, whereas Epic's like, great, we'll put something out. Oh, this is really cool. Oh, no, that's OP. We'll pull it out. Like, oh, we'll try this game mode. and eh, it's not going to work. Oh, that's work. We'll keep it in. You know, they, they're doing a lot of cool one-off things. They are, I think, one thing I, I will say, too, is that they are moving faster than I think people give them credit for. Like, I don't disagree with you that they have a plan. But I think their ability to jump from opportunity to opportunity is unmatched by a lot of developers right now. Like how quickly they got on that Infinity War stuff with Thanos and like that was there's no way when Infinity War was planned years ago that they were planning on this being part of a marketing ploy. Like they they've done some cool stuff and they've taken some interesting opportunities. So kudos to the team at Epic and Fortnite. This will not be the last time we talk about it, but um, especially now that we have a hundred million dollars. Yeah, it also helps when you uh, you are the makers of the engine, so you tend to have. More tools, more access, more understanding of things, yep, and yep. and well, in all honesty, I mean, if, you, if you if you <laughs> well, I mean, if you're used to building an engine, right? And they probably learned a lot from Paragon as well. If you're used to building an engine, you're used to building that structure. They just more than likely they set themselves. Knock on wood. I'm right. There's probably like a Fortnite developer is like you have no idea. It is fucking chaos. But <laughs> in all honesty, like you would think in general that they would be prepared for uh, they w- they would build in. The ability to just to be more flexible in the future yep. uh, with game mode types and, and structuring and such. But again, there's probably one developer going like, you don't understand. The they all dad. suck. I hate <laughs> my entire team. Yeah. The tech yeah. dad is just horrible. The damn product right. managers won't let us fix any of it. Right, right. Oh, man. Moving on. So this is I, I think this is when we've reached peak esports at this point. Um, when you can start to get an esports business degree of some sort, like I'm actually shocked that this is coming from like a master's program in Europe and not coming from like ITT Tech or DeVry or like Phoenix University Online <laughs> or something. Like to me, that is just like a no brainer for them from a profit standpoint or like full sale. Like full sale is notorious like, for like this stuff. Grand Canyon Community Christian College. And you're yes, like, yes. <laughs> it's like, makes no sense. It's just so, so dumb. I, and they're located I, in like Florida. <laughs> I, yeah, I you know I, I don't get this because if you read it, it says that they're trying to get into like all these different areas, which includes oh, what was it? I have to try and find it out. Yeah, they want to. The course will cover several key components of the industry, including team management, event production, public relations, marketing, and law. Just a few things. That's the thing. It's like <laughs> it's just you know having been at NGE Studios and talking to some of the guys there, and and, and everybody is like it's largely a film based. Uh, medium right? right and so you would think if anything this would be more in the realm especially when it comes to, like event production like, types yeah, of stuff sports production in specific the tracks right like, yeah exactly stuff. not not an entire master's program in in business it, it just I, I i i don't get it i i don't get because there's so many aspects of it that are just hum, you know homogenized or taken from other areas like event production is a whole thing pr is another thing like you don't do pr law marketing and event production like that's just the weirdest mix mishmash because you're never going to run all of those no well right maybe, you're going maybe to you do, silo into one poorly. of them 
yeah. I, I, I see. I mean, here's where I'm reading out of this. And they have partners. Like, I want to be clear here. Like, ESL, Riot, Star Ladder. There are organizations that are partnered in some way. I don't know how meaningful their partnership is. But this represents something. We have talked many times on the show about how if you want an esports expert, the, the, the pool is thin. <laughs> there are not a lot right. of options for esports experts. So what you tend to see is like, oh, you've got two years at high res. Well, they've got long, one of the longest running esports programs as a developer, so we'll snag those people away. That's like, no, no offense to these people, that's like the bottom of the barrel for esports expertise because there really is nowhere else to go. You have some like long-term journalists and some people have been in the community and those people have been snatched up years ago. And so this is them in like this is a one of their attempts to try to like fast track some people with a probably broad but not so deep understanding of the different parts of esports to try to generate more of a talent pool because there there's there are some caveats to trying to pull people from these worlds that are not familiar with esports esports is different in some key ways and team management of a bunch of kids as we'll get to in a bit when we talk about the shanghai dragons is a very different experience than like a pro or even a collegiate athlete and law in esports where there's like no player union and things of that nature again very different than coming from like a traditional sports background so i get it they're trying to bootstrap a bunch of people but i also agree that like i don't know how much more successful that's going to be i personally if I were hiring, I'd much rather send somebody off to a tier C, tier D developer, have and they do a couple of years there, and I just keep pulling from that. Like pulling from places like High Res, like no offense to High Res, but like they've got a good esports program. It's not to the level of Overwatch League, it's not to the level of League of Legends, but that's a good place to go and cut your teeth in esports where they're gonna be more likely to take a risk on you. And that's more on the job training that is relevant than like I'm going to go to a law class, and then I'm going to go to event production where I'm going to walk around with a camera, and then I'm going to go sign some legal paperwork. Guess what? That is the mentality that has gotten us to where we are now, where you have a bunch of people that have no fucking business doing a lot of the roles that they're doing on and off of teams and causing a lot of chaos. You know, I was talking to a couple of crew members this weekend, and we were just we were talking about sort of about this subject. Like, was this how in do you your just trailer? Get into it? Were you, were you in your trailer no, when this was happening? No, we were out having lunch. But yes, anyways, we were just talking about it. And it was like, one of the guys I was speaking to, he got into esports because somebody was walking by his house and heard him playing League of Legends. Like he got into esports production and walked by, heard him like yelling something about League of Legends, walked up to the door, knocked on it and said, hey, do you want to play League of Legends? And it just happened to be that they worked at a studio and he ended up now as like an account manager or something like that, like <laughs> years later, right? Like, how do you go from just, that's just dumb luck, right? And to being an account manager. And then there's the some people that were, that were uh, mods of a channel, right? Yep. Uh, and all of a sudden, a like a caster drops out and they step in to fill in and then now they're a caster that's like their role that's what they do they you yeah. just so much of it is how esports is, is largely about is like putting in the work a little bit of dumb luck but it is about putting in the work and just making it happen right and that's the same way film is because it's very much bent towards like film and film production and so on and so forth and so and we were talking about how a lot of these production companies that are spinning up things like NGE, even ESL, hire a lot of younger people because, one, it's cheap. But, two, they have the drive for it. They understand the, the, the space more. And if you're wanting to get into it, start looking into like production companies and being a production assistant even. And just any way you can get your, your foot in the door, 
even if it's modding a channel, it, it works, right? You can just being part of the community, making your content, you just you fall into a lot of these places. Yep. And it's it's good and bad in my opinion. I think I think the professionalism yeah. required of esports is accelerating faster than the sourcing of the people that are involved in esports right. is catching up. That was another thing too, yes. <laughs> because what you end up doing like and but it is the way that it is. Like I, I applaud this as an attempt to try to solve it. I also have zero confidence that this is going to produce any better results than what is currently. I mean, the reality is, is these people just need to grow up in the industry and then go back and train people and just, you know, go through that cycle of people getting better and better at the things that are unique to esports. And in 10 years, we won't even be talking about this problem. But right now, like you're trying to bootstrap an entire industry on the backs of, like you said, Discord mods. You know, right. people playing League of Legends loudly. I'm not just going to open my windows and put my monitor right in front of my window all the time. I'm just like, all right, you want Japanese sports? Just leave your window open. <laughs> Blizzard, Flight Overwatch, <clears throat> come over here. You know, it's yeah. but like it's hard when you build an industry on the back of that kind of grassroots growth, and then all of a sudden you have major organizations paying tens of millions of dollars to play your game. It's why we have a lot of dumb decisions, a lot of people screwing up, public facing wise. It's just, it's super young it's a new industry people don't necessarily know how to navigate it and the people in the in the higher uh spots really just maybe even fell into like the people who run tespa literally started three four years ago and now they're in charge of tespa which is a huge collegiate like and they have no idea what they're doing like for in grand scheme of things I I i wouldn't say they don't know what they're doing but they started it at like a college right like and it's just in four years to be this broad is like incredibly crazy and and it just starts with like they just started organizing tournaments at their campus or between a couple of them and it just right. grew and there might have been tens of versions of that playing out throughout the country right and this is the one that landed but and when i say they don't know what they're doing i mean more from a standpoint every day is probably learning as they go and trying to get better at yeah. it there's no blueprint or formula for them to follow right there's no predecessors to be like oh how do we do this well we have no freaking idea so let's just kind of figure it out so it's very it, much like a startup in a new environment like, it is it's just yeah, and you're 15 often and <laughs> trying to figure that out. <laughs> as you right. Go. Right. So speaking of money flowing into esports, there are quite a bit of records to talk about that have happened this week. The first one I want to talk about is, you know, this is the international for Dota constantly produces records. We talk about it every year. Every year, somebody hypothesizes that next year is going to be the year that it doesn't make a new record or doesn't meet a new goal. Well, so far this year is not going to be that year. $10 million mark has been reached 12 days into the sale of the Battle Pass for the International. To put that in perspective, last year it took 15 days when people were complaining that it was slowing down, despite it taking 19 days in 2016. We have 97 more days to go <laughs> to see how big this gets. Last year's mark was 24,787,916 dollars. <laughs> So, and they've put out, um, to sweeten the pot, you get bonus battle points if they beat last year's record, and another, so they get 10,000, they get another 10,000, these are the individual players, uh, get another 10,000 battle points if you purchase a battle pass, if the final tally eclipses 30 million. They're going to eclipse 30 million. I'm going to call it now. There's no way that they don't. Yeah. Like, this is just insane. it, It leveled out. It leveled out, and then last year, I think, maybe they dropped, because they upped they up the ante like halfway through to kind of revitalize. And so there's a couple times where they add things to the battle pass. Or they add, make other things available. And that's when you see like the bumps. Yep. Um, and 
I think it was last year they were either late doing that or they were maybe a day or two early. There was there's something about the the second bump that they did. Um and but again it, it does slow it slows <laughs> it slows down generally. Um but I you're already two million dollars ahead by like at this point. It's gonna happen. Yeah. And we point this out every year, but I just want to do it for sheer scale of things. That only represents twenty five percent of the total money that Valve has made from the Battle Pass, because <laughs> only twenty five percent of Battle Pass sales go into the pool. <laughs> so also scary, yes. Basically, Dota can do nothing for the other eleven months of the year and just hold the international. It's still one of the richest ways to get to make money <laughs> in esports. So, well, I mean, if you look at it, maybe the because they've added more like minors and majors this year the format's a little bit different yep. that maybe that uh, has people more interested in the competitive scene versus it just being a one-off right maybe they're more invested in their teams right uh it just maybe it also like when you're having more majors and minors you can promote it more during those those times so i it could just be general growth of dota i don't know but it's i mean it's a good sign yeah, I mean, for I mean, they've clearly found themselves in a similar space that League of Legends has, which and Counter Strike, games that are older that still continue to maintain or grow their audience, and esports plays a, a decent part in that, and this it clearly represents that. Other things to talk about as far as records go is we have the midseason Invitational for League of Legends. It has the final of the MSI became the most watched esports match in history which is just insane (laughs) now key here is royal never give up which is a chinese team from the lpl um drove a large amount of chinese viewers not and that's not to discount that but this is not people in america watching which is tends to be the slant that everybody takes right do i go to the u.s stream on twitch and what does the numbers look like 127,551,000 plus spectators, (laughs) majority of China, watched King's Own Dragon X and the Royal Never Give Up final. 127 million people. That beat 106 million people, which was the previous record. That's a shit ton of people, regardless of how you slice it. That's not going to sell a lot of sponsorships in the U.S., but that is sure as hell going to sell a lot of sponsorships in China for Riot. And now that they've taken a firmer grip on all of their non-US, non-EU streaming and and competitions, they've got to be stoked to see that number. Yeah, that number will get you... uh, That'll get you some some revenue, right? I mean, you, you can't turn that down. I mean, just even if it's just for the event, not essentially for like a season long um or just general content sponsorship that is just i want to throw an ad up and that's a ton of money right and yep. it's just ridiculous how much um it china plays a huge part in esports ecosystem when it comes to this the problem is is just trying to get out people from outside sponsorship sponsors from outside china to sponsor that kind of volume is a little more difficult because it's hard to get into the economy or get into china and sell your stuff without partnering with somebody in china and then who knows what happens yeah it's it's hard because we've talked about this past it's even hard to cover right like us as media going to events in china 
is near impossible. Right. They see media on your visa application. They don't care that you're esports media. Like it's really, really hard to get in. This made covering last year's worlds very challenging for people because they couldn't go. To give you an idea of how slanted it is towards the China market, total time watch for the entire midseason invitational, two billion hours. Only twenty nine million of those two billion um were non Chinese. <laughs> So it is a tremendous amount of interest in China. If you're wondering why they chose to hold worlds in China, despite what I just described, there is your answer. I mean, it makes sense. And wasn't worlds the previous record holder, if I'm correct? Uh, Yes, it was. Yes. So it's crazy when MSI beats worlds from the previous year. Yep, it was the semifinals of Worlds last year between RNG and um, SKT. So, imagine that. Yeah, well, clearly RNG is dry, and we saw it too. That stadium (laughs) that they filled in, I believe it was what Shanghai is where the finals were. Like they they stuffed that stadium where most professional sports leagues of the U.S. would have trouble stuffing a stadium that size. Like it, kind of nutty. Not even kind of nutty. Absolutely nutty. Absurd. Yes. Yes. Um, a little bit minor, more minor success by comparison. Overwatch League continues to chug on. We've got the, you know, we're in stage four now, which we talked about at length in a previous episode. But tickets are selling pretty fast for the world's event coming up at the Barclays Center in July. They created this interesting grandmaster package, and I have not—I don't even think they've announced what it includes, other than it includes more stuff than the standard ticket, and it's sold out very, very quickly. They're averaging about two hundred and eighty thousand views per day, which, against the numbers I just gave you, probably sounds like a pittance. But when you look, right. generally speaking, across esports. For what is effectively, I don't say boring, but boring, like middle of the season kind of, you know, play that's just happening very, very frequently at a pace that I think you and I were wondering if they'd be able to keep interest in. And 280 is not a bad number for that, especially when you consider the cost of bringing that audience to bear compared to what it would take to produce a television show that can bring, you know, hundreds of thousands of people to view. So... Certainly nothing to laugh at. We've got all these sponsorships in place. We've talked in the past about the amount of money potentially flowing in through expansion. And things are looking pretty good right now. For yeah, and the bonus Well, and the bonus here is that it's they've already done a lot of the front end investment, which is the uh you know, the set, the building, the studio. And so this is a continued event stuff. This isn't like a one off. It's not like they traveled to well, in this case they are traveling to New York, but it's for like the finals versus where ESL is like this traveling, you know, the ESL one Cologne and then New yep. York. And it's like, it's a, a traveling thing where they're just trying to go to different areas and we've seen them not fill <laughs> a lot of it, right? Like what was it? IEM masters and in Vegas had like oh, a God, 20 people so in the M gym. Like it was just awful. And so, in this case, they've at least learned that lesson. They're they're maintaining this, and they're not having to ship people around. They don't have the added cost of touring, and they're they're locked into one arena and they're doing one thing. I mean, it's why Riot built their own studio, right? Is because it just makes more sense to build it the way you want to, and uh, from in a long run, it's going to save you money than trying to tour or rent a place or being temporary set up and have to constantly tear down. And it just it's. 
it's good. Even though the number is, I would say, low-ish, you still got to figure that in the course of a weekend or so, they're putting together the equivalent to a major, yep. right, in CSGO. Yeah. So, kudos to Overwatch League, I think. I mean, I am very excited to see how this expansion plays out. I'm excited to see what the money will bring. Uh, I'm excited to see what improvements and changes they will make going into the next season. Are we going to start further down that regionality path? Are they going to do more traveling? Are we going to start to see some of the stage finals take place outside of the Blizzard Arena? Who knows? But I I think with that amount of money, it would be suspect to not suspect otherwise, right? I think we will end up... uh, Yeah, I'm using... Hey, same word two different Not suspect, man. All right, man. Good job. Good job. I like this. Linguistics. So I I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. There's no way they bring in four to six more teams at 30 to 50 million dollars a pop and they just keep sitting in burbank and like doing their thing like they are gonna have to get out on the road they're gonna have to start giving these teams more ability to make money through things other than just the merchandise and profit sharing of the overall league sponsorship Mm -hmm. Uh, i imagine we'll see more individual team sponsorships come out next season uh especially if we, we see of course jack in the box bad example given that they associated themselves with the fuel and XQC famously <laughs> dogging sponsors while having the sponsor on his Twitch stream. But we will see how that plays. I, I think we just saw, like, I think, like, State Farm is backing some people. Yep. Uh, there's been a couple, like, non-endemics jumping on the on AutoZone, on board, I saw the other day floating around. Was Lincoln. it AutoZone? Yeah. Well, State yeah. Farm has been heavily involved, um, I believe, in League of Legends. But there's also AutoZone has thrown their hat recently. Um, I actually saw a uh, little blurb from Manny and Nicole, um from Next Level mm-hmm. saying that Auto is the largest growing segment of sponsors in esports at the moment. We've seen this with like Audi sponsoring Astralis and things of that nature as well. Toyota and, sponsors and, Overwatch League. And rumor has it that Geico is getting more involved too. Oh God, does like that mean stupid actually, Gecko <laughs> esports actually, commercials? I believe they're actually looking at running an HCT like tour stop kind of thing. Like it's Ooh. weird. Yeah, well, it can't be any worse than their their like Pax Geico tournament I mean, stage. Clearly hasn't been doing you any good. I mean, I I, I fail at it, but uh, it, it's I don't know if they're trying to go like the dream hack kind of route or whatever, and I don't know what they're planning doing. Maybe they're just going to piggyback on a PAX and just do a larger segment and call it a tour. Who knows? But that's the rumor that they want to get more involved. Yeah, well, kudos to them. Though I do have this horrible ad flying around my Instagram at the moment with like it's like the geico gecko on one of those like infinite runners which i thought stopped being cool years ago so i was like shocked they like brought it back for this geico commercial so but <laughs> i go like flappy bird version yeah like, this is so, long like, gone my friend three years from now we're gonna see an instagram ad for geico like talking about Fortnite. who knows <laughs> like we're we're hip and with it kids Speaking of Overwatch League, I, I referenced this a little bit earlier in the show, but I want to I want to talk a little bit more in detail about this. So obviously, Shanghai Dragons still winless in the Overwatch League. There is a pretty good chance that they finish the entire inaugural season, all four stages, without a single win. Now, why is this news now? Because this has been the case for a while. Well, they had a couple of close matchups this past week, one specifically with the Dallas Fuel, where they were like 3-2, Like, they should have... Basically, their fans and fans of Overwatch League felt that these matches were winnable, and they still are not making any progress. So there's, as esports is want to do, the coach of 
the Shanghai Dragons, came out with this interesting twit longer. And there's a couple of things in here that I find very interesting. So he claims that they have the most intensive training scheme among all teams in the Overwatch League, um, often going 12 to 14 hours a day playing the game. So there's something there worth unpacking. The other thing that I thought was interesting was the player, or sorry, the audience, like policing the non-Overwatch playing time of the Shanghai Dragons players, reporting them to the coach, and then the coach talking about how they have free time, but they've uncovered some incidents of people playing non-Overwatch games during when they should be playing Overwatch games. And this is such a weird dynamic to me. Like, starting with that piece... (laughs) You don't see this anywhere else. Like it's, it's like the prison league is what it sounds like. Good lord! I mean, it, you know, they say that they they practice till uh, you know start at ten thirty in the morning, practice as till late as eleven, with the possible training extension to midnight. Like crap. I mean, maybe burnout is part of this, but maybe they're playing too much, and that's the problem. Yeah, maybe that is. <laughs> Nobody has functional like wrists. It just doesn't work. I mean, that's got to be super, super tiresome. I, I just, I can't imagine that. The burnout rate on, on Shanghai has to be crazy right now. On top of it, like, didn't, isn't there a clause that, like, if you were awful in yes. Overwatch League, that you could be booted? Because they wanted to maintain competitiveness despite not having any sort of relegation system. And- right. And do you think that they're worried about this in some way, shape, or form? I mean, to our previous points about the China market, you're not going to ditch a Shanghai-based franchise, but I would imagine that Mr. Nanzer behind the scenes is going, hey, Shanghai Dragons owners, you better be stepping up some investment and getting yourself better players because... Something, because they they want 107 million people watching... uh a team, you know, the I, again, we don't know the the numbers in China, but I mean, a good Chinese team will bring a Chinese audience. Yep, a team that is does not win <laughs> at and, all. And you could not have polar opposites here, right? Like Royal Never Give Up is the team most likely to <laughs> right, break right. Korea's streak of you know winning the worlds in League of Legends, where Shanghai Dragons is going to set the record for the most stages without a win that may never be broken in the overwatch league ever though if we expand to six more teams maybe that maybe (laughs) that will be the case but i just like it's it's such a weird world we live in here in esports where like we have this there's this general i don't want to make a bunch of societal commentary but like we have this like takedown culture where we like have we just feel like people owe us things and if they don't give us the things that we feel like they owe us we like attack them and try to like end the thing that we believe is like privileged to them and this is one of those weird scenarios (laughs) right we're like as a fan of the team you're not putting in enough effort so i'm gonna rat you out to the team in hopes right. that like that will somehow change that makes me feel better as a lazy ass sitting on my computer in like diamond in like bronze at Overwatch League. There was um, a, a good, uh, a good, I don't know, story that relates to this is uh, Dean Hall, who um, was the lead developer, producer, game designer on DayZ for the longest time when DayZ came out in beta and was forever like just chugging along. There were so many things broken. And everybody wanted it to be a lot more than it was. Anytime he would like hop on somebody else's stream and play another game with him or whatever, all the chat was and everybody tweeting at him was just like, get back to fixing the game, get back to fix the game. Like, he's like, I don't, I don't, I have to stop working at some point in time. But every time he would do anything other than talk about DZ, 
people would be like, you need to go fix your game. It's broken. And it's the same way here. Like, you need to go fix your Overwatch League record because it's, it's broken. It's broken. How it dare exist. you play Fortnite? <laughs> right. Right. Oh, man. Why is he playing Minecraft? That's the only thing he's good at. <laughs> oh, God. Maybe he should go off to the Minecraft League. Yeah, it's, I don't know. It's such a weird dynamic. I, I don't know. Does Shanghai I mean, win? It's, it's, is Shanghai going to win anything this stage? I, dude, <laughs> I mean, the, I, we can't oh bet yet, but I'm assuming the odds are stacked really against them. But Oh, that, though, you, you think, have no so, idea think, how poorly they are stacked do you think, against them. <laughs> do you think some of it's just like a Chinese culture thing? Like this is a pride thing, which is why they're they're so talking about like how much effort they're putting into it. Is it trying to dodge the bullet from Nate Nanzer kind of thing? Is it... Um, <laughs> That's a good question. I don't like I mean, because remember when it was, wasn't like two Korean teams like accidentally like shouldered and we had like shoulder gate going on. Yeah, we have no yeah. idea what happened there. But it, again, is it a cultural thing versus I mean, it could be? I, I think there's a like I said, there's a lot of pressure. There's a reason why Shanghai and Seoul were picked as the two of the three international representatives for the initial season because they're markets that this game has to do well in. Like, we can get excited about esports in the U.S. and much less excited about esports in the EU, but when we talk about Korea and Chinese and the China market as... Like that is where the money is. That is where the growth is. You want these right, giant right. freaking numbers that make people's eyes water and grab all these mainstream headlines, despite them lacking some context. They're going to come from Korea. They're going to come from China. So I imagine there is a tremendous amount of pressure that is probably making its way down to the players. That Shanghai is a joke. Like they're bad. They're so bad. They can't even beat the damn fuel. <laughs> but like they they just they're not doing well. They've had plenty of opportunities to get better. There is no arc of them getting better. You know, they they employ the first female player in Overwatch League and that is their claim to fame, which is unfortunate, right? Like right. that that's the only thing that they've had going for them and that is not going to be enough. Like diversity is huge thumbs up, but that's not going to grab the China market for you. And if you look at how the rest of this yeah. stage plays out, they got to go against the Fusion the NYXL, they got Seoul, it, they've got Houston. Like it is, they these were their chances. They got the Florida right. Mayhem in week four. <laughs> three, they had three stages of tra- chances. Let's be honest. Like yes, I know. I mean, if you're if you're waiting, like man, we got screwed on our last four games. We're not going to get a win this te- <laughs> this this season. Like you waited too long, my friends. Yep. Their best <laughs> chance, I think, is against the Florida Mayhem in week four. Otherwise, it is. I mean, all teams above them, and maybe the shock in, in, in their well, second matchup. It's, it's always all teams above them. So yeah, I know I, that's I, what I'm saying. But like, these are teams yeah. that are like way above them. Like they're getting nosebleeds. Yeah. They're so far above Shanghai <laughs> at this point. So it's it's not looking good. And I think there's going to have to be a, a bit of a, a, a you know like reckoning on Shanghai. And I would not be surprised, as I said earlier, like, you know, we give Nate, I always put Nate Nanzer as the face of this. I'm sure he's not the only one involved, but like, (laughs) this is not good. Like the Chinese team cannot be like the basement dwellers to such a degree that they can't even win. You know what the Chinese market is doing right now? They're going, eh, don't care. And you talk about regionality, not mattering. 
the places where I think it does matter is when the Koreans are looking for teams to represent. And right. they have other teams because there's a large Korean contingent on a lot of these organizations. There is not a large, noticeable Chinese contingent outside of the players on the Shanghai Dragons. So they have regionality as far more of a concern than any of these other teams do. And they are not doing a good job representing China right now. And that's a lot of pressure on them. And I imagine right. that, that something will need to change next season, both for business reasons and for competitive reasons. From from a business standpoint, I could easily see another Chinese team being added. Yep. Simply just so there's more than one. Because when it's like a one off and they're not there's like no when there's a one off and that one off is doing horrible, people just tend to totally not pay attention. Oh right? man, that's got me. When there's at least one or two or there's like some kind of like rivalry between the two, there's something there. Especially if one can maybe even make top four, then the other one's dumpster dumpster, then like <laughs> whatever. You, <laughs> dumpster rank then you you realize okay there's something here we just have the wrong team but that's right how, now that's how texans feel nothing. right now between the outlaws and the fuel <laughs> right 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 uh, yeah it's gonna be interesting but there's also a lot of geopolitical issues with expanding in china right like you're gonna have to pick another either another shanghai team or things are gonna get ugly because if you go like the hong kong route there's a lot of challenges with that the whole one china policy and things i'm bringing total like geopolitical like garbage <laughs> into this but it, like that is a concern right they can't just go put a team in hong kong and like the chinese get upset about that type of stuff so uh, in while well, as americans that are naive you'd be like oh that sounds like a great idea that'll be a huge rivalry like that's dangerous for for blizzard from a business standpoint <laughs> um, so, like right. no joke like china would say you know what you have a hong kong team in your league you, you know you no longer can have shanghai as a representative city like you'll never be able to travel here like they mean it when it comes to that one China policy. So they're going to have to find some place elsewhere in Southeast Asia that is not a considered property or province of China, or they are going to have to find another city within China to represent. Yeah. So yeah, well, we will see how that all goes. Moving right along, let's talk a little college esports. And this is timely, um, given your adventure this past weekend off into Tespa land. Um, we had Tespa. We have recently had Heroes of the Dorm wrap-up, which was also going on in the past couple of weeks. And Collegiate Esports continues to drive a good amount of attention. Like, it continues to be treated, though, and I'm going to say a controversial statement that is probably going to get a reaction out of you, so I'm warning you ahead of time. But, like, at what point does College Esports grow up that we stop giving it the sideshow format and we start making it like a first class format of esports. Like I'm especially calling out like the Hearthstone Collegiate tournament that you right. were involved in because very like non traditional. I don't think it played nearly as well as a competitive setup as it did as a show tournament at BlizzCon that used a similar format with like the three people and kind of co piloting decks and things of that nature. Like what what is your take on this having literally being on the ground? Like how how does that environment differ from what you see from a traditional competition? Uh, largely what you see is, um, kind of what we had talked about before. If you're really good, uh, then you're not playing college level. You're playing pro, right? And that's the, the thing is where, why college esports has, will always take that back seat in terms of, uh, the quality of play. Now there was, uh, one, one guy on UCLA, uh, Triton had won like the red, red bull brawl this past summer, uh, this is the second time that UCLA has been like the top four uh, for uh, Hearthstone, Collegiate for Tespa stuff. And I mean, the, the guy is really, really good. And I'm actually surprised he's not with some kind of pro team or any way, shape or form. And so 
because of that, uh, I think in the level of play, a lot of times isn't the greatest. And that's largely because you have a ton of people competing, right? So you can say this about any pro level tournament. There were eight over like 830 to like 880 teams competing in this like four month or three month series. And you whittle it down to like the top four. There were some amazing plays. There was definitely times when we were like, there is no reason. Like we can't think of one way they should have played that differently. And then there were matches where we were like, yeah, that was probably a dumb move. They, they missed and it happened. Like I saw, I saw it. They right. Yeah. There was definitely a miss lethal. Yeah. And, and so, but there's also a lot of different things that go into play there. Like there's three people there on the stage. There's nervousness. Uh, there's, you know, you're in the other room. You can see what other people are doing. So maybe you're making a read off of your opponent's face because some of them were trying to gather information on their opponents based on their body language. It's just things you can do when you have three people. Yeah. And so it, I think that's largely it is because it, with esports, unlike college where if you choose to declare yourself for a draft, you're ineligible to play in, in college, in college ball, then you here it's like if you're really, really good, either you're spending too much time playing Hearthstone and not going to college yep. or you're doing a pro level stuff. And, and so like Dr. J, uh, he is just technically like leaving. He left college and he's just doing more like the Hearthstone pro scene stuff. Um, uh, Will Scarlet was actually back in the hotel room right, finishing his finals because he graduates next week. How old so you is can this technically make you say, feel, by the way? <laughs> I don't know. Let's not talk about that. We have multiple conversations like that. Um, but there's just a lot of that, right? Like, So essentially, they are collegiate sports people, but they play professionally. And a lot of these people can. Like Triton is definitely, I think, one of those people that is playing test because it's an opportunity, a t- opportunity for him to play versus it being the only way that he can play. I think he could easily compete in like a dream hack and rank. I think he could easily start doing stuff in HCT. But I also think the dude values his degree at UCLA and just wants to get that degree, right? So he's doing a different path. Maybe after he graduates, yeah. But I think that's why they take a bad seat. What I I did find that was really, really surprising was that Stanford was in top four. UCLA was in top four. And Penn State was... And oh, I'm trying to think who else was in there. Was it Carnegie Mellon? I think I mean, none of. Are them. you trying to say the smart people are good at Hearthstone? No, no. I'm saying no, no. None of them. I I don't think any of them had theirs were backed by their school, so their school had no affiliation with them mm. technically. Which is not they surprising were just, for that level of school. Well, uh, you would think, but the funny part was like UCLA showed up in 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 actual jerseys said like UCLA esports. Right. And not cause, and then I think it was like Stanford was talking to them was just like, Oh man, it's so cool that like your school at least backs you because we don't have anything. And they're like, Oh no, we don't. We, we, print, all. we like, printed these. <laughs> no, no, no. They took them from their Tespa overwatch team. They borrowed them. <laughs> that's how bad it is. Like, oh. and that's crazy. This is a team that has placed again. They've walked away in the past two years, probably on average about maybe like $5,000 a piece. So this dude in the in two years has gotten ten grand probably yep. for I, for for in scholarships, but he can't. <laughs> I'm going to say something inflammatory about this, but this is kind of how I feel about collegiate esports at this point. It is the most blatant esports in general is a marketing ploy. College esports is the most blatant of marketing ploys. 
none the level generally speaking you're they're always and this is what they hang it on right this is the michael udall problem where you find somebody remotely good at the game that comes out of your collegiate esports experience and then you hang your entire collegiate esports program on the fact that this one person managed to do well and by the way michael right. udall is like folded like a flan in a cupboard over like since he got into um hgc but it's it's blatant. Like these are college kids. This is these are the people you're making money off of as consumers of your game. Very rarely are any of these people going to turn into professional players. I think Hearthstone is a bit of an exception because it is not a game of physical reactionary skill, and therefore, like the age thing is not as bad. We've right. seen this. Like older players, Sidonia is your perfect example of like your more adult older players being good at the game. But in general, like I think it's just a, a marketing ploy, and I. Because of that, unless Blizzard wants to just piss away a lot of money on it as a marketing ploy, what real reason is there for a real university to get involved, provide esports scholarships? There are scholarships in traditional sports because football and basketball make a shit ton of money for schools, for communities. And I just don't think this will ever reach the levels of making it worthy of major schools giving away that amount of money like buying some jerseys yeah great we support you go esports but like are 100 kids going to be able to go to the ohio state university on full ride scholarships because they are good at overwatch probably not so tespo is doing something interesting in the hearthstone piece which is they essentially uh the the finals that we saw was a uh clash of what are, what's called the varsity varsity division and the open division and essentially, the varsity division is uh, colleges with actual esports programs or backings. They compete in one side of the tournament, and like eight of them come through, and then they bring in eight people from the open division. So the competition in the varsity level was much less. So you had if you if you were with a school with an esports backing, like say Boise State, which has legit an entire Hearthstone room, yep. <laughs> which and, and they have jerseys, yes. <laughs> um, All right. Uh, it is, you know, they had the chance. They went uh, more of the distance, right? They got into top eight. They bowed out of the top eight. They lost in the first round. But still, they made it there, and they were only one of two varsity teams. The remaining six teams were from the open division. Two of them Penn State, which is ridiculous that Penn State has two teams. They, I believe, technically had a third one that never made it. But... Penn State, two teams, and they still have no recognition of an esports program. Yep, and no they won it, it, by the way. One of them won it, by the way. Yep. And there's no money. One in won it. it, one bowed out in eighth. There's absolutely no money in it. It's a publicity stunt. Like, and I hate to be that harsh on it, but there's just there is no okay, yeah, it's a club at the school. Well, and it okay, gets some wait, club wait, financing. Wait. But you're not going to get first class support from major universities if there's not money in it for them for a very long time because they don't view it. I mean, this is something women's sports at colleges have struggled for a long time, and those are arguably still more popular. Before we jump into that, before we jump into that can of worms, I mean, look at the stuff that League was doing with Big Ten, right? The Mm -hmm. Big Ten Network, they're doing their own collegiate stuff, and that's where the money is. There's at least broadcast money in there for them, I think, long long term. I think that's maybe a lot where they're looking. Maybe I, I still. I mean, they're not I, going to do necessarily ticket sales. I mean, no, it's never going to be ticket happen. sales. We've but about that the cost to run to let four kids or three kids uh, uh, play Hearthstone is vastly cheaper than running an entire football team. 
especially when you have to fly them everywhere for events, you have to like for games or or bust them there. And in this case, Boise got paid by Blizzard to come out. I don't doubt that. Or by Tespa, one of the two. And that's fine. It depends on what you consider a healthy level of support. Buying some jerseys, flying them out once a year, okay. Full ride scholarships, like to the le- to the support level that athletes get, like that includes on campus housing, that includes food budgets. There's a lot more money, and that is not esports money at this point. So I, I they they provide yes. they, esports money is nowhere near, but. Some of them see possibly some growth opportunity. Do I think, yeah, it's a lot of hype and they want to announce it? Yes, I totally do. But it's also, it's it's largely advertising in some ways for them. I, and, what's, yeah. and what's, okay, look at your audience and the, the amount of people that say a UCLA wants to bring their school. Are they wanting a bunch of football heads that are like, oh man, football's the best or basketball or whatever? Or do they want a bunch of freaking nerds who play video games? Which one do you want to appeal to more? I don't know. I'll I'll be honest. The question, the answer to that question, is not as clear as I would like it to be. Um, is this because of Fortnite blending it between everybody? No, 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 no. It's nothing to do <laughs> I'm with just that. Joking, dude. Nothing to do with that. I. God, this is horrible because this is literally face, forcing me to put a, a like value on a human being and what they do. I think the value... Oh, you do it all the time when we're not recording. Don't I? Act- <laughs> I'm joking. Liar. <laughs> the value to a university of a student while they are going there, football player provides more value, arguably. Well, a football player, but not necessarily... I mean, how many people Well, that go- guy's not going to get in. <laughs> so the non-football... The, the bro-footballer non-football player is not going to have the academic credentials to get in to some of these schools. Right. So what you want to do is create competition over people who are into video games and esports and blah, 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 blah. Like some of these people are like, in a sense, I mean, there was uh, people with all different types of majors, right? And I mean, do you want the bro football player with the undeclared or do you want someone like studying epidemiology or something like that? Like, would you rather appeal to a vast, a larger group of people that are not the bro football dude? <laughs> no, I get it. I get it. I don't. I mean, I think. I think there, it, what I'm saying is, marketing wise, it's there. You make yourself more appealing because there's more things to do for people who aren't into sports. Yep. Because there are a large amount of people who are go, that go to college. We're talking about esports, not sport. <laughs> you know, I'm, you fell physical into that ball. One. You fell into that one. But you see what I'm saying. I don't yes, need no, to. I get it. It's a, it's a tricky discussion that I don't know that we will ever come to a conclusion on. Like I, I think. We will. I got all night. No, I'm joking. Oh, Jesus Christ. I hope not. It's yeah. It's a it's a weird one. We'll see. And every time we talk about it, I feel like somebody gets angry with us. And I'm not trying to discount collegiate esports as a waste of time. I'm just saying that it is wrought with challenges that traditional collegiate sports do not have to deal with. Everyone is well aware of my feelings about the NCAA's involvement. Yeah, um, I do think it's largely a marketing ploy. The, which means the strength of its success as a marketing employee will determine the amount of money that will be willing to be invested from both sides. And uh, I still feel like that's fairly weak-ish at the moment. Uh, stronger on the dev side than on the college side. But we will see. 
Moving on, our last story of the show is uh, an old fave. We have not talked about Rainbow Six Siege in quite a while. In fact, I think since I traveled to Montreal for their finals, that which was like, God, a year and a half ago now. It's been a very long time. And their Ubisoft is still plugging along with Rainbow Six as an eSport. And they're making some pretty intense changes to the Pro League structure coming up for this next season that, like, it's interesting because they are going full bore with this. Like we got challenger leagues, we got right. pro leagues. Like you, as a as a, I don't say a closet fan of this game, but you know you have you like this game. You have enjoyed it as an esport. It's got its challenges as an esport, but this is a pretty massive <laughs> continued investment by Ubi with these changes. Well, yeah, I mean, but they 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 realize they have something that no other game has. I mean, they they're different enough. They're the equivalent to. I mean, they appeal more to like the CS:GO crowd, right? And maybe a little bit of that kind of PUBG type of of crowd, but the game just plays differently than everybody else. And I think one of the challenges of the game is from the observer mode. From the observer mode is some of the things that Overwatch suffers from. But now that they're ex- expanding out, and I think also their schedule is has been historically really wonky. Like I never know when they're doing anything. When I when I hop on Twitch and there's something going on, I watch it. However, it feels like a lot of what they do is one-off stuff, right? I mean, how many times have we seen like, okay, this is just a a random Xbox weekend like show match thing, right. and it's like we took like these teams that are ranked and the these te- like they they do like these mixed invitational slash you could go through an open bracket to get there, right? So. Three teams were invited. Three teams had to like make it through playing however many things. And so in this case, I, I like what they're doing. They're breaking it down to an actual league with, I think they're wanting to run it like Monday, Wednesday, Thursdays. Yep. It's just, it makes sense to get something repeatable, a structure that makes sense, something that people can jump into and relate to and understand versus this hodgepodge of one-offs. Yep. We got we have the Challenger League. We've got a path to pro now. They're putting in promotion and relegation. They're doubling the length of a of a quote unquote season from three months to six months. Right. Um, we're going to get two finals now, and they go all out. Like they just had a finals in Atlantic City. Like this is not like in a lot of ways this is more grown up than a lot of what we're seeing out of Blizzard with some of their non Overwatch games. Right. Like they're they're like going and traveling out with this thing. They had a Paris Major that's coming up in August. They're investing, but I do think like marketing for the, ironically just talking about marketing, like marketing is a bit of a challenge for them. Like I follow most of the main accounts for all the games that we cover, and I am far more aware of much smaller games esports efforts often than I am Rainbow Six. And they've got the power of Ubisoft, and this is direct Ubisoft support, right? This is not them going through some third party. This is not them supporting ESL and doing a thing off at an ESL event. Like this is like. Ubi brings you out and you watch it and there are Ubi people there and they're handling everything. So for that is kind of inexcusable. So I'm very interested to see what this does. And despite all that, I want to be clear here, despite all that, this scene has grown quite a bit in the last three years since it debuted in 2015. Like that's, they are still making it happen. And the the question remains unanswered is, like how big can this grow with the proper attention and the proper approach? Now, is this a future 
tier one esport. I don't think it ever will be. I think, no, no. I think it's too niche as a game. I think the observer challenges uh, will continue to be observer challenges. But can this be like a Paladins or a Smite that has a scene big enough to be self-sustaining and yeah. draw some pro teams? For sure. And I enjoyed what I saw. It's a cool experience to be there live. Ubi, you know, has Ubi level production values when it comes to that stuff. And it's interesting. But these are some pretty massive changes which show that they are invested, right? This Everything here represents more investment from them. And that is a good sign to see for a three-year-old game because I think even you and I questioned when we got involved with Rainbow Six a couple years ago of, okay, this is Ubisoft. This is a notorious dev shop that just takes a franchise and milks it for everything it's worth over and over and over again. When they came out and said, no, we're putting our stake in the ground with Rainbow Six Siege and this is going to be it for a while for the Six franchise, but we're going to keep expanding on this Siege format, both from an esports perspective and a video game perspective. They have stuck to their guns pretty largely in that and that has been yeah. you know positive they're a little behind though i feel but oh for sure in a way i, I in a way if the scene has grown and they're expanding based on that growth that makes sense versus over hyping it which some people tend to do right you can throw a ton of money at something doesn't always necessarily draw the, the most amount of players fortnite throwing 100 million at it for a year it's really just one month's worth of transaction fees that it's pulling in, which is ridiculous. So I think that um, they're responding, they're, they're growing, res- I think, respectively, like co- compared to what the audience is, versus we've talked about, you know, if you grow Overwatch League to four more teams, are you going to have enough good players, right? Yep. In this case, like if you're going to expand the league, are you going to have enough good players? And I think another thing that has kind of made them waver a bit is that they're also, they're very much including like PC and Xbox, right? They're PC and console. And so when you do the same game across multiple platforms, I feel you, you tend, it tends to suffer a bit overall as a game, largely because you splinter your audience. Yeah, but I think we've seen this with high res, right? Like I, I think Smite has been held I think high back. Res is like, yeah, I think the high res is the perfect comparison. Like you literally are like, oh, it's an overload. It's too much. And yes, I guess that the you know we've seen this. The console often has different metas than PC, and I get all that. And like uh, high res has done some cool things, uh, especially on the Paladin side with like uniting the consoles and like a cross platform type competition, and that's fine. And I get it. Like they are saying. We want to make console first class thing for esports, but I think it's a bit of a stretch. Like I think, yeah, I think what you could do by just having PC and letting that roll, you have to think about it from your audience's perspective. If I like Paladins or I like Rainbow Six Siege, I like it regardless of how it's being played. If I'm watching it as an esport, that is often separate from how I choose to play the game. I'm. Now, I could be wrong about that, but I, I think largely it hinders them because it's like two leagues about the same game. It's it's just it's it's a little weird. And I, I think Siege, I agree with you, is like another game that has suffered from that that dichotomy mm-hmm. between the two platforms yeah. being pushed as, you know, equal esports, so to speak. Right. 
Awesome. So that's going to do it for this week's show. If you're, man, there's probably a lot of people angry with me about the, about the Tespa stuff. Um, you can shoot <laughs> me your anger and vitriol or tell me like why I'm wrong. I'd love, you know, I, uh, one thing I love about talking about Tespa and the NCAA and collegiate esports is our audience gets far more engaged about those topics than they do others. I usually get somebody who works for Tespa that sends me, um, clarifying comments, which I'd love to see. So shoot those over to us. <laughs> um, you can do that on Twitter at Nerf This Crew or on our facebook and instagram at nerf this gg you can also shoot that over via email if that is your preferred method it's show at nerf this gg and you can catch our show on all the places you can get podcasts that includes of course itunes overcast pocket cast iheart radio tune in and via rss or direct download on our website at nerf this gg and of course we always really enjoy those itunes reviews keep shooting those over those help people discover the show um, and you know, we got to grow. I don't want to have to have a console version and a PC version of this podcast in order to, to gain audience. So <laughs> shoot those reviews over on iTunes. We always appreciate that. And on that, that is going to be it for this week's episode. We will see everybody next week for another episode of Nerf. Nerf.